This episode was recorded via correspondence and may have some sound quality discrepancies. We hope you enjoy the content and look forward to bringing you more. I went and then I, I obviously sought out some help and I sort of went to a GP and asked for some guidance on what I could do about this, this thing that I just felt was so stupid to go through. And the first thing that she prescribed me was um, anti-anxiety and sleeping tablets. And I just, I walked out of there and I was, you know, 21 and I just thought there has to be another way. Hello and welcome to our listeners to episode two of Brain to Bar, where we sit down with some of our industry bosses as they share their first-hand experiences in applying mindset and brain strategies to bring themselves to the bar that is in life, health or business. My name is Sophia and I'll be your co-captain today because our special guest is actually a legitimate pilot. So to be honest, I feel safer playing second fiddle to her today. She is a true all-rounder in the health universe. She exemplifies physical and mental strength in her competitive career as a WBFF pro, as she balances her commitment and dedication to her role as a nurse and midwife. Please join me in welcoming this dynamic human being, Sherelle Grant. (laughs) Wow, what an intro. That's going to be a hard one to match. But yeah, thanks again for sitting down with me. I'm really excited about this. Oh, thank you for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about your story and your life. So let's just get into it. Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background. Um, <laughs> well, I guess you've introduced me. So my name's Sherelle. I grew up in a small country town, um, top of Victoria, So I moved to university uh, straight out of high school. I went and studied nursing Um, and then I went back to uni and became a midwife and sort of in that time is when I got into health and fitness uh, just by working in the hospital setting, I guess, seeing how unhealthy general population really was and sort of thinking to myself, I never want to be like that. Uh, That's really what pushed me into the fitness sort of competing space. Um, I started as a runner, actually. So long distance running was what built my competitive nature. Uh, Before getting into the gym to complement my running, uh, I just fell in love with, I guess, the weights and the barbells and the physical and mental strength that came with that. And I guess from that, I went on and studied and became a personal trainer again and just continued competing, eventually won my pro card. And here we are. That is amazing. I feel like it's just, you know, it's so matter of fact, it's very simple. This is how it happened, but I'm sure there was a lot of up and down and a lot of fighting to get to where you are today. So from, from this experience, let's just say your current day to day life, what would be your biggest mental challenge that you face day to day? Definitely juggling probably the two identities. So working, um, you know, as a health professional in a hospital, uh, as well as I guess being in the fitness space, uh, health and fitness are actually very separate, although they're commonly interchanged and used together. Uh, The lifestyle of a health professional isn't necessarily healthy in terms of what we go through in terms of night duty and shift work and uh, putting others above yourself, some would say. 
Whereas I guess with competing and bodybuilding in particular, it's a very selfish sport in everything sort of revolves around what you're doing in terms of nutrition and training. So I guess for me, it's always about balance and trying to juggle uh, my, my line of work, uh, my passion and my hobbies all in one so that I'm not, you know, burning the candle from both ends, but, you know, exceeding in both. So that would probably be my biggest struggle mentally and physically. Wow. Yeah. So you did describe just then that you um, identify yourself as having two identities. So one that works in the hospital and one that's put more in the fitness kind of universe. Do you find that your mental game has to change like exponentially to be one or the other? Or do you find that you've managed to merge uh, unified, say, behaviour for both it's just, you know, the application's different. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm a better nurse and a midwife because I do compete and because I look after myself and train and uh, vice versa. So I think, you know, the lessons and the routines and the skills that you learn in both have sort of formed this identity that I do have now. And even now, I don't identify myself as a bodybuilder. That's not what I think I am. Um, I'm very much health orientated and focused. And that's always my message, whether it is at work in the hospital or on social media or to my own clients, you know, health is always first and foremost. Um, and I know that the body, body and aesthetically, that is second, it's not forever. And that's something as well, like working in women's health, I'm very passionate about empowering women and working as a midwife, I see what the body goes through and it's incredible. Um, so I, I, I have a different sense of appreciation for the human body. And I think, yeah, they both tie in nicely, but they still both have uh, conflicting components. That's actually, that's really beautiful. So looking at health and the human body as a whole and almost the aesthetic part as the byproduct of taking care of yourself, um, feeling inside, uh, very like well inside as well as outside. So that's a really nice way of putting it. Tell us about a moment or a phase in your life where you came to terms with the fact that you had to change your mindset. Is there a poignant moment that you can recall where you went, Cheryl, this needs to change? And just, yeah, tell us a little bit about that process and what it was for you. The first thing that comes to mind was probably, there was probably a 12 month period where I was studying post-grad and I was working full-time as a nurse. Uh, I was trying to compete as well. And, you know, I think I really did just gas myself. Um, I was giving so much of myself and anyone who's studying to be a midwife will be able to understand the the post-grad is really demanding. So doing that on top of full-time work and then um, trying to be this this bodybuilder fitness model at the same time they were so conflicting to each other and you know I was seven days a week between the both and I got myself into a really tough place I guess mentally um, mostly with my sleep which is why I'm so passionate about sleep now and and it's a big focus point for me is making sure that sleep is is prioritized always between the two um, but yeah I developed something called sleep anxiety and I really struggled to um, fall asleep but it was wasn't even just mentally like physiologically my heart rate I would sweat I couldn't sleep because I was so worried about 
not sleeping. And it sounds so silly. And especially for someone who's never really had any mental health concerns personally, um, I'm lucky that I'm a very um, self-aware, confident person. But going through something like this for the first time, it was very foreign to me and I couldn't really understand what was happening. Um, I went and then I, I obviously sought out some help and I sort of went to a GP and asked for some guidance on what I could do about this, this thing that I just felt was so stupid to go through. Um, and the first thing that she prescribed me was um, anti-anxiety and sleeping tablets. And I just, I walked out of there and I was, you know, 21 and I just thought there has to be another way. Um, and then that was, I guess, the starting point for me to really prioritize my health and think how can I how can I do the both um, without compromising my long term health and my mental sanity because I just realised I couldn't keep doing it like that. So that was the starting point. I was lucky that I didn't fall completely into a hole. I had that sort of shift of mindset of be proactive about it. Um, but I can understand now how people can get into that place and sort of become reliant on you know, medication and different ways of essentially augmenting or numbing uh, your body. So, yeah, I think that was really the kick in the ass that I needed right at the start. And I'm really grateful that I did go through that really early on in, in both of those careers because uh, working, I guess, with other health professionals now and obviously being in the fitness industry, I can see how a lot of these issues um, could become a really big problem. Wow, that's... That's intense sleep anxiety. And yeah, it does like on paper, it sounds like what you can't sleep because you're anxious about not falling asleep, but it's something that a lot of, I know a lot of women go through in for different types um, or different facets of their lives. Like when you get stressed about something, the anxiety that manifests is the stress because you're stressed about something and you're stressed about stressing about it. With, um, I guess, work, I had so many timelines and I was always on call as a midwife and I had uh, women that I had to attend to and if I missed their phone call when they were in labour, you know, I'd, I'd miss the birth and there was so many anxieties that had stemmed from alarms to the point like if I could hear something like that, I, I couldn't sleep and it was just, I guess it just developed over a long, over a period of time. You just gave me like this penny drop just then because I loved how you described it as timelines you have all these timelines and on in each time I'm a little bit of a sci-fi freak so <laughs> when you talk about <laughs> space and time I just get like Whoa. Uh, timelines is very interesting because we are in this age where we got to do everything we got to do it all we have to you run our own business we're doing it face to face we're doing it online we then have to have a, another source of income or we want a, to do another hobby so there's all these different timelines that we do and in each timeline you know you've got your own a fitness timeline or bodybuilding timeline for instance you've got a competition you have a process to get there mm. then in your work life you've got a completely separate process to get to your career goal but they run parallel because it's your life yeah you're moving forward. So having said that, you mentioned that you were the type of person that wanted to put 100% into everything you did. And given that you have multiple timelines, compared to what you did then to now, how do you manage your timelines now to ensure that you're not only completing your tasks that you have to do, but you're taking care of your mindset and mental health at the same time? What are you doing now that's different from then? I guess now I, I found a bit more balance between work by firstly not working full time. Um, that was a big one for, as a shift worker, you know, 
you do have so many different shifts and hours that full-time work is just too much if you're doing other stuff on the side. So, you know, starting my own business and working as a personal trainer and an online coach, um, you know, that is a stream of income for me as well. And I'm very fortunate. Uh, as a nurse and a midwife that you know I will never be able to work and shifts are always there and we can sort of drop up and and pick up shifts as we please so reducing a few shifts in the fortnight um, so that I could give more time into my clients um, has definitely obviously been a big one so just time management and being realistic with my time so you know I'm always wanting to do more and even when I achieve all this stuff throughout the day if I don't have the physical evidence I still feel like I haven't achieved everything that I I wanted to I feel like I haven't had a productive day because I haven't seen it whereas um, now I sort of in my journal I write down everything that I've done in the day and then I look back and I'm like wow I have done a lot of stuff so I guess time management and being more realistic um, and kinder to myself has really helped me as well as you know like a big long list of self-care practices and things that I do now every day. That's great um, I'm definitely someone who needs to see what I've done to like really let it sink in because you know how people you just come across someone maybe you haven't seen for a while and they ask they ask you you know what have you been doing and you sit there and go I feel like I've done nothing with my life <laughs> even if you you know I won this competition I did this I did that you, you don't remember it if someone asks you but when you see it on paper recorded ticked off annotated commented that gives you that sense of accomplishment. Yeah, I'm very much a list person, like writing lists. But now instead I write, um, like I use Google Calendar and I actually slot out times to do things because I was just writing these big lists and being unrealistic with how many hours I had in the day or, you know, how, many, how much attention I could give to something. Whereas now when I slot out things on Google Calendar and actually time it, I'm like, well, there's no way I'd get all that stuff done. I have to move it around and I can be more realistic with my time and hold myself accountable that way rather than feeling unaccomplished by not getting everything ticked off. Do you prepare your list of things to do the night before kind of like a schedule, like from nine to 10, I'm going to do this from 10 to you know, 11, I'm going to go for a walk. Is that how you structure your day? Yeah, normally. So I normally sort of, I'll put my shifts in and what, what shifts I'm th doing throughout the week. And then I'll make all my client stuff around that. And then I'll put my training in when I'm doing that. And then um, if I have a little jobs and stuff like that, I'll just allocate times to them. And that way, if I'm not, a, if I can't get something done, I can literally just move it around. You know, I'm not, not getting it done. I'm just reallocating it. And as silly as that sounds, like mentally, I still feel productive. And I think that's important. Absolutely. You mentioned that you made the decision to not work full time, to give you a little bit more time to pursue the things you loved and your additional um, activities. How was that decision making process for you? Because I know there are a lot of people that would love to do that, but are apprehensive or even if there's an option for them to reduce their workload they just get anxiety about well, what if I don't earn enough what if I don't succeed was it a hard decision for you or was it an easy decision to go you know what I'm just going to cut down on my work it was a really hard decision and it still still is a hard decision um, so I guess it took me a long time a lot longer than what it probably should have and it was more so the people in my life being like Sherelle come on 
you know, you know that this is what you want to do. And I always, I described it as like torn between two passions because like there's this health professional, health practitioner side of me that loves what I do, helping women and women's health. And I really love that. Um, and then there's this other side that's almost like the present me that is like, well, this is now, this is here. Um, opportunities aren't forever. And, you know, if you let this ship sail, um, when the other one's going to be in the dock for a long time, you know, how will you live with that mentally? So it was more so, I guess, over time, it wasn't like an instant thing. You know, it's been a few years now that I've sort of been pulled towards this. And it was the point in which I said, okay, this is when I'm going to start making an income off this, you know, coaching clients, something I love doing that's not even work for me. Um, so when I started, I guess, earning an income from it, I just stepped back from the other side. And, you know, I worked really hard competing, like working long shifts and night duty and still going to the gym and grinding like that. Um, and there was a time and a place that I had to do that. I had to earn the right to get to where I am now. I love that. Earning the right to kind of achieve anything. A lot of people think that we see the before and we see the after, you know, those, those transformation photos. But in terms of the brain, it's the exact same. We often see the beginnings and where someone is at point B. What's going on between A and B? No one knows. So we automatically assume button. I'm just going to go from here to here. But really, from what you've said, Sherelle, it's, it's a process. There's gray matter in there. There's bits of color. There's a bit of everything before you get to the bees. I always write down notes as we go because I, I'm one of those people that goes on tangents. <laughs> I, I, need to, I need to be brought back. <laughs> we can literally end up talking about, you know, Simpsons references just out of nothing. But um, I don't know if you have that type of humor. I have the six degrees separation humor where in my head I will connect it to six different things and then it'll be really funny to me. Yeah, but then no one else understands. Well, I, think I do that too because I just start <laughs> laughing at stuff and I'm like, and Luke will be like, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, oh, no, like, don't worry. <laughs> Is that a thing? There you go. It's easier to say don't worry than to explain it because when you explain yeah. it, you sound like a complete goose. An idiot, a weirdo. <laughs> like, people are like, what goes on in there? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Fruit monkey. It's a monkey with a tambourine. <laughs> Who knows? All right, fantastic. Now let's get let's get back onto this. <laughs> Again, tangent. So, okay, let's just say you seem like you're in a good position and you feel confident with where you are in terms of your work, um, your extracurriculars. How do you deal with any anxieties that may pop up now? Do you you obviously have certain self-care methods that you use? If you are, you know, you've come back from the hospital and you feel like you're in a space that's not conducive to productivity or optimal sleep, how do you then manage that little window that's open to anxiety? For me, it's being feeling like I'm on top of things. So being organized and prepared is just my best tool against it. And I know that. And that's why, you know, Google Calendar and all those little tools and knickknacks come into play and having, you know, just the basic stuff, like making sure I have enough food in the fridge. It just really comes down to being organized. Um, I'm sort of big on just speaking about stuff as well. You know, if I have any concerns, I'll, I'll tell my partner about it. I'll tell the concerns and uh, more often than not ignorant is bliss and he'll sort of say well you know in the grand scheme of things da 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 and it, it sort of helps you realize that sometimes the anxiety monster is a lot bigger than 
in your mind than what it is in real life. And another strategy that I, I use is um, if I do have a worry, I ask myself, what is the worst case scenario? Um, and I use that with my clients as well is like, tell me what the worst case scenario is if X happens. And more often than not, again, the worst case is not that bad. Um, you know, I often um, say this with my partner who cracks them in traffic. You know, I'm like, what is the worst case scenario if we get to this place five, 10 minutes late? We can either rock up, you know, late and stressed or we can just rock up late. So, you know, nothing really changes and, and the bigger problem is always bigger in my head. So I think just doing that and almost like approaching things with rationale rather than emotion um, is a skill. You've got to be, you know, because we always get stuck in emotion, always. But it's just being more conscious of it, I guess. That's really actually really good insight. Great. So you mentioned that your partner does help you with perspective. I know third-party perspective is a really useful tool when it comes to anxiety management because, let's face it, anxiety, like you said, manifests as a monster inside our heads much more than it does in reality, triggered by reality. Just out of you know interest, because I know that a lot of people struggle to find uh, say a network of others that are as aware or as supportive. Did you have to kind of teach or cue uh, your partner to be able to identify these signs that you exhibit or is he just naturally quite aware? Um, I guess we've been together for quite a few years now. So he's, um, he knows how I tick in terms of things and, you know, we were together before, any fitness sort of stuff come along. Um, he is very self-aware himself and we have a lot of values, but I think just being together for a good period of time, our relationship has just allowed us to learn about each other. Um, so I'm very fortunate for that. But yeah, it is just about being more aware of you in the relationship and how you work. He understands, you know, that sometimes I just need events and I don't want solutions. So he lets me talk. Um, and like you said about perspective, I think it's really important because he's been a big driving force for a lot of um, decisions and almost giving me permission to follow through on a lot of those decisions. Um, so, yeah, I am very lucky in, in having him there as well as a few other people in my life. That's beautiful. And it's really important if you are lucky enough to have that or found people that are that aware themselves and aware of what's going on. Amazing. What would you say to your clients if they lacked that kind of support who could they what could they do who could they talk to is there something that a piece of advice you'd give to your clients to see if they can create a more stable kind of environment for themselves I guess it just does come down to really aligning yourself with those people to begin with and you know a couple of years ago um you know I didn't have directly a lot of those people in my life because I'd moved away from home and uh, I was at uni and yeah, like I don't have a huge um, friendship group, but I do have quality friends in my life. And even now I'm always networking and, and aligning with other people that I share the same values with. Uh, and that's luckily through social media, very fortunate to have connected with a lot of people through um, Instagram and that platform. And I think when you're in the fitness industry and competing and stuff like that, it, it takes a special kind of personality to get to a certain level or to have a certain impact on people um so reaching out and connecting with other people like that i think is um invaluable in terms of figuring out who you are who you 
are as a person. Um, but also journaling. I think it comes back to being really self-aware and working on yourself um, for yourself. So, you know, being practicing mindfulness and journaling and, and just reading and just absorbing different perspectives and different opinions. I like that. I like the concept of kind of global education, like go out and research every argument against and for everything, because that's, that's the only way you're going to be able to develop your own um, understanding, but also, you know, you keep an an open mind and that's the first, that's the key to self-awareness, right? Keeping your mind open to not only external changes, but internal changes. You mentioned that you felt like, Um, you were given permission to express yourself and experience what you were experiencing. Was there a point ever where you needed to give yourself permission to express and feel? Um, I think in terms of competing, for example, it took a long time for me to be able to, uh, quote, take it seriously. I always sort of saw it as a hobby like a you know an extra activity that I did and it's just that thing I did on the weekend but internally I knew it was so much more um to me in terms of training and looking after myself and I think it's because um in nurses and health professionals that sort of culture it doesn't exist like bodybuilding is so foreign you'll never see I don't know many other nurses out there that sort of do take it as seriously as I do uh just because those lives are so um conflicting but it took um I think it was funny. I sort of saw my pro card as that. Once I earned my pro card, I, I sort of, it was like a sigh of relief that I was like, okay, I'm a professional now. I can start investing more time in this because I'd been grinding, training at times and hours that weren't suited to my body, um, you know, getting through shifts without breaks, um, not being able to manipulate variables that I wanted to. And to, I hate saying being disadvantaged, but having, I guess, um, you know, night duty and things impacting the results. I accept that that's a part of who I am and my identity. Um, But it always teed on my mind that if I had the authority and the permission to take this stuff more seriously, um, I would. And it sounds funny, but earning my pro card was that, I guess, justification that I needed and it's funny because a lot of people say well you shouldn't earn a pro card if you don't take it seriously but it was that I took it seriously but at the expense of doing too much so yeah it really was that was the turning point I guess where I was like okay knuckles down now yeah absolutely and they always say that you know the pro card is not just um a a trophy for having a professional physique but it's kind of a signpost to who you are as a person. It's a champion mindset, you know, to be a champion, you need to think like a champion, but not achieving it also doesn't mean you don't have a champion mindset. Then you can, you know, break it down into the criteria, get the feedback, apply. But having said that, yeah, that would have been a, that would have been a huge turning point, especially if in your mind you were just kind of trying to see where it fit in your life and that was obviously a sign that said you were on the right track. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I didn't really identify that as, as the permission slip, so to speak. Um, but now that I look back now, I was like, yep, that's what exactly what I needed. I needed that pro card, um, not for the title or anything like that, that a lot of people just want it for. I didn't want it for that. It was just my own permission that 
almost, uh, and I know this might sound a bit shallow or insecure, but you are good enough to do this. Like you, you will be good enough. Imagine what you are capable of if you gave yourself permission to fully embed yourself in this. That's what I felt like when I got it. Yeah, that's exactly, I think, the mindset of a true champion right there. And it was very, it was very nice to actually see that the pro card for you wasn't just here is a badge of honour. It's you flourished even more so mm-hmm. afterwards. So you could, we could definitely see, at least I could definitely see that you transformed, you took it and you ran. Um, you know, you, you kicked into your old running habits, but you ran, uh, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't run as much now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't even, I, I walk to the shops and that's enough. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Let's go back. You did mention that you're not someone who's ever had any real mental health conditions or issues. We don't necessarily need to have conditions to notice enhancements in our mental health we have um touched on some of your strategies that you use like you stay organized it it seems like time management and being prepared seems to uh, prevent the onset of any type of anxiety because you know what you need to do um because a lot of the time it's mostly uncertainty that causes anxiety going from say receiving your pro card to where you are now what changes in your mental health have you noticed is a result of your change in process probably more self-acceptance um i think at the start when like we all get into training uh a lot of people get into training for the wrong reasons a lot of people get into competing and bodybuilding for the wrong reasons um myself included probably started out for the wrong reasons uh And in a sense, I guess everyone wants to, you know, we all start to look the same. We all start to blend in and mimic each other. And it's just trends. We're all culture and we, you know, we, we act as we monkey see monkey do. Right. Um, But over time, I think I've really learned to let go of that and just do me and focus on what I want and how I want to look and what I want to put on stage. Um, So that was a big one is really, I guess, embracing who I am and allowing that personality to flourish. And that's why I don't identify myself as a bodybuilder because I get a lot of pride and joy in being able to achieve uh, the physical component while still in some sense being a normal person and being a shift worker and sort of proving statistics wrong. So it's not just about the the physical aesthetic package that I put on page, but it's on the stage, but it's about what I have to do to get there. So I think that process of um, staying true to myself and just working really hard to not become a statistic and to do it the right way uh, has allowed me to develop a lot of mental toughness and confidence in what I do and what I say. And I always talk about optimal versus practical. Like there's a lot of things that are optimal. Like it would be optimal to train at nine to 10 AM every day when my body's primed for it, or it would be optimal to not do night duty, but then there's practical. And that's what I found a lot of people struggle with, um, you know, connecting with people and influencers and competitors and developing relationships is they can't relate to some of these people because the lifestyle is so um, unattainable. And for me, I sort of like showing people that, you know, 
even if you don't have optimal circumstances, you can still do insane things. And I sort of know to myself, like, I'll never probably be like a world champion because my my um my circumstances aren't optimal but I'll do the best that I can in the circumstances that I do have and I won't victimize myself to it so I think that whole process that I go through continuously is just that balancing process and doing my best not comparing myself to others because our circumstances are completely different um has allowed me to have a lot of mental growth not just you know with competing, but at work and like with my relationships and my family and my career goals and business goals. Self-acceptance and not victimizing yourself. I think that is a beautiful way to look at it. And you can definitely, it definitely comes across. It's, it's a great message for everyone, especially people who do want to try, you know, the competitive lifestyle or just, to treat themselves with kindness. We can't all be training full time in a gym as much as we'd like to and be paid for it. That would be a dream for me. I'd love that so much. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool. But yeah, working with what you've got and not punishing yourself for not having that full time training lifestyle. It's, it's not realistic. It's, it's almost like asking, you know, can I just live like the Kardashians forever? And I think a lot of people as well, they sort of look at that life and it's, um, they think it is all that, you know, oh, she looks amazing. She, all she does is go to the gym and post on Instagram. And it's sort of like, I think the older you get, the more that you appreciate the relationships that you have in life and, and success, you know, is really just about enjoying what you do and who you are and being confident in that. You know, you can't measure it or gauge it off by income or followers. Um, you know, sometimes I see a lot of sadness in a lot of those people as well in that, you know, they don't have those relationships in their life because it's such a selfish sport. And I think it is, um, it's something that you have to compromise at some, some extent. And even when I'm deep in a prep, you know, my relationships suffer. And I sort of like Luke and I have a, have a great relationship and he knows that, you know, things have to go on the side for competing. Um, but then I always make sure that I give back to those relationships, you know, so for certain months of the year, like I'm like to Luke, sorry, I'm, I'm just not going to be present. And he knows because you get that athlete's mindset, you're laser focused. I'm still working. I've got clients, I've got training, um, you know, nutrition has to be on point. Sleep has to be on point and some things just have to go to the side. And unfortunately that is your relationships. So if you don't have that, that switch where you can say, okay, the competing's done now, I'm having a bit of time off. I'm going to give back to those relationships in my life into the things that are truly important. And for example, like even now with, um, I don't know when you're going to release this, but the Corona, you know, it, it really does make people step back and appreciate their health. Uh, their wealth, their relationships, and I guess their significance in society because, you know, it's a really important time and I think it's a great lesson for everyone to say, like, you know, fitness is not here without health. And I think it's something that people take for granted. I love how you um, described it as, you know, if you are focused on your competition once it's done, you flip the switch to then give back to the areas of your life that you've had to take from. It's almost like, you know, putting more credit into your bank account and then, you know, taking and then giving back. You always have to replenish it. If you leave it, you know, below zero, then it's going to stay that way and it's going to get worse. So I really like that perspective that you brought 
whatever you take out of whatever facet of your life to give it back and build it up so that when you do have to focus again, when you take away from it, it doesn't go to zero. Maybe just drops a little bit, which is really lovely. Really, yeah. really lovely. That's also the way that I think about, I guess, your body as well. Like I take and demand so much of myself physically. And then, you know, once the show's over, it's um, it's a time to give back and prioritise recovery and reduce training and, you know, gain body weight and body fat. And um, it's also something that a lot of people don't do because they don't appreciate the health element that you have to give back, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Oh, isn't everything. the human body and brain the most complex thing ever? beautiful <laughs> I know it's got to do all this stuff but it's actually more simple than you know what a lot of people make it out to be it's it's self-care what do you need right now you've done all this stuff well what do you need listen talk to yourself I love it so let's let's get into a little bit of the um the mental side of you actually bringing your brain to the bar because you do visit the bar quite a lot Barbell for those of you listening at home. <laughs> yeah, like not the alcohol, alcohol bar. <laughs> Give us a little bit of a an insight into Sherelle's brain when she approaches her training session. What does she do to get the most out of her session? My training's changed so much over the last few years. And I think something I used to do was always go into my sessions so wired up with like a you know, I'm going to kill this, destroy this session. This is mine. You know, almost like anger. I'd always go into the gym with anger um, because that's what you think. You sort of think, you know, go hard or go home. And um, I think over the last uh, definitely 12 months now, I've really sort of learned how to come into the gym, um, you know, in a parasympathetic state and sort of learn to just you know, go through my sessions. Yes, you've got those those sets where you do give it your all, but now I just rest between it, you know, having a few minutes rest and taking the headphones out and, and learning to to allow my body to sort of slow down and turn the volume down so that I can turn it up um, because we can't live in this constant wired state. And I guess for me, you know, being in the gym is my time and it's almost like, it's almost like meditation or mindfulness. You know, you're right there. I turn my phone on airplane mode. I have my playlist and that's it. That's just, I like turn down to turn up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, There's right. gotta be, you know, downs for it to go. And I like, I like that meditative perspective where you go in in a more parasympathetic state, more relaxed. Well, the more relaxed you are, the easier it is for your brain to fire, to focus, to allow things to happen, to connect to your body. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to go, I'm going to consciously go into my next session and apply the Shirelle approach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> amazing. Yes. All right. It has been absolutely lovely chatting to you. Is there one universal tip that you can give our listeners how to get their brains to the bar or rise to the occasion? What's one tip that you can give everyone right now that they can apply immediately when they turn off this podcast? Um, well, I guess in terms of brain to bar, always do the things that you love. So if there's a style of training or an exercise that you really hate, don't feel like you have to do it. And that's something I'm really big on is not making myself do the things that I despise. Sure, there's exercises and training and, and you've got to practice grit and discipline, but that's different to going in and actually doing a type of training or style of training that you generally don't like. 
Um, and I think it's just about trying, you know, a hundred different things and being okay that 98 probably won't work out. And I know that's for me, you know, the last few years, trialing lots of different styles of training, uh, realizing that fitness is universal. It's not just a barbell. Uh, it's not just weights. There's so many different ways to practice being health and fit, health and fit, <laughs> healthy. <laughs> Health of it, right here, coined. Yes, so just mark. find what you know, whatever works for you and um, your own, you know, philosophy on training. I love it. Thank you so much, Sherelle, for sitting down with us and chatting to us about all things your brain, all that grey matter. The brain is all grey matter. It's not black and white. <laughs> There's a lot of things, a lot of things to consider. <laughs> If you want to uh, learn more about Sherelle and what she does, she does have a website. I believe it's sherellegrant.com yep. where they can access more information about your online coaching as well as your own podcast. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your podcast that you've got up going on? Yeah, so me and Danny, who's um, my host co-host there, we have the Level Up podcast and basically uh, it's all things health, fitness, training, mindset and just different ways that you can level up. Amazing. And we need a little bit more level up in our lives. So head down to the Level Up podcast to hear more of Sherelle and Danny together. Thank you again for your time, Sherelle. It's been absolutely awesome. And we can't wait to maybe have you back on later on. Thanks again, Soph. I'd love to. And that's a wrap for episode two, guys. Make sure you head to the Instagram to Stay up to date with all of our guests. We'll be releasing some more guest speakers later on. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep a smile on that dial.